The following audio is from Crossroads Church, a church in Lincoln, Nebraska, centered around building genuine community through authentic faith. More info can be found at lincolncrossroads.com. Amen. Um, have you ever noticed that it seems like in, have you ever noticed? Yeah, right. Everybody's noticed this. Like, it just seems like everybody's a little bit more scared in general as a whole than we ever used to be, right? And when I say scared, maybe that's not a, there's just like, does it seem like the, our culture today just has this dull fear that just kind of like always present underneath the surface, right? It doesn't take us too much to get a little bit afraid. And, and whether you think that's valid or you think that's invalid, it doesn't really matter. It, it, it just tends to be this, this dull fear that, that so many people operate under today. Um, and, and, and oftentimes, it's funny, like we, we view the world our way and we see somebody who tends to maybe uh, fear and, you know, the whole fight or flight thing, right? Like once we get afraid, that's usually our, right? If we tend to be a fighter, we see anybody who tends to be a fleer, but look how scared they are. They're running away. But then when we're, we tend to lean on the flee side, like look at those fighters. They're so insecure. They're, look at them fighting. They're so afraid. And we, we love to like, like, like judge one another for all the different levels of fear. But here's the deal. When we look at scripture, the most common command in all of scripture is this, do not fear. So listen, as, as followers of Jesus, like I understand this fear has a powerful place in a lot of people's lives, but listen, as followers of Jesus, there is a way of living beyond fear. Like there is a way of living where fear doesn't have control of your life anymore. And we're going to take a look at a story today that that the apostles or the early church leaders were were walking into some scary stuff. And and I'll be honest, like there's, there's some interesting takeaways from this story. But what I want to do today, rather than just like make it, turn it into an outline, I want to just, I, I, I want to just lean into the narrative of this. Can, can we just tell a story today? And we're just going to tell a story and we're just going to walk through it slowly. And we're just going to look at what's there. And then when we're done, we'll maybe see if we can't take a couple takeaways from it. Okay. Um, I don't want to make it more complicated than it needs to be. Here's a couple things that we need to understand though, before we get into the story is this, is that this is not, like the Bible, the stories in the Bible are not just like, like fictional stories that are just like make for good sermon fodder. Like these are real people that encountered real life situations. And, and can I tell you something? I, I shared this on, on Wednesday night. I made this comment, but, but this is so true. Like the greatest, most life-changing revelation from God that I've ever received. And by revelation, don't be like too weirded out by that word. All I mean is this, is that, you know, those moments when you're reading the scripture, those moments you have in your prayer and your God, and God shows you something that's like, maybe it's always been there. And maybe it's the same text you've read a hundred times, but all of a sudden God brings some truth and some meaning and some definition and some application to you that makes you go like, how did I never see this before? Anybody ever have that experience? Okay. The the greatest moments of revelation from God that I've ever experienced didn't come when I was studying Greek and Hebrew. It didn't come when I was, when I was digging into concordances and Bible dictionaries. And all that stuff is great. I, I, I enjoy doing some of that research. But listen, the greatest revelation that I ever received is when I read the scripture slowly and deliberately. It is amazing what happens when we actually look for meaning not our own meeting, right? It's not the Da Vinci Code or whatever, or National Treasure. Like there's secret messages hidden. No, there's none of that. Like, just, but when we just go like, God, what are you saying through this? It's powerful. So my prayer for us today is that as we slow down and we look at the story, that God will bring some of these things, um, highlight some things to us that me and all of my wisdom or whatever could ever possibly give you is that God would speak to your hearts today. We're going to pick up in our story. And so if you remember last week in Luke chapter 5, so if you've got your Bibles, look in Luke chapter 5. We're just going to hang out here. If you've got your Bibles, look in Luke chapter 5, where we just were, uh, if you've been with us through this series, 
Um, we've been here for a little while, that Luke, the, the author of Acts, periodically like kind of pauses the narrative, pauses the storyline, and gives a little bit of a snapshot of what the church was like in this moment at this time, right? And so he does this like right after the day of Pentecost when the church first started. It says 3,000 people got saved, and then he just kind of gives a little snapshot. And then chapter four, he does it again. It says now 5,000 men. The reason it says men is, is most likely they're really counting households at that time, not because they were valuing men over women or children or anything, but men represent, how, now we're talking 5,000 men. Let's say that every man was married and had one kid. I know that doesn't all work. They weren't all married. They didn't all have kids, but some had a bunch of kids. So let's just conservative. We're talking about 15,000 people now part of this little religious sect called the, the followers of the way. In other words, they believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And so we've got 15,000-ish people. Now, this thing is starting to move. This thing is starting to spread. And then some things go down. Uh, people start dying because they lied to the Holy Spirit. And there was this holy awe and reverence that came over everybody. And all the people inside the church were like, whoa. And all the people outside the church were like, what's going on? And there was this reverence. And so people were, were seeing their lives. They, their, their doctrine didn't necessarily line up. They weren't necessarily down with the whole Jesus is the Messiah that the Old Testament was talking about. But, but they, they had respect for the life. They'd taken notice of the life these Christians were living. And so this is kind of the snapshot. This is the context that this was written. And, and, and the Jewish leaders, and you got to remember, the religious leaders and civic leaders, like they were, it was kind of one and the same, right? The government and religious leaders kind of filled the same role. The same, I mean, they, they were, they're the same people, right? So the, the high priests, the religious people, they were the ones that were in charge, other than the fact that they were under Roman rule. That'll come into effect later, but we'll, get, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. So they were getting jealous, right? Because the whole nation of Israel is all re, re, like all about Judaism, right? Honoring God and, and looking for the Messiah. Now here's this group of 15,000 or so people who said the Messiah has already come and you all killed him. That's threatening to them. And so they were getting jealous of this movement that was coming up. But what they did is so, like, they needed to meet together. There's 15,000 of them. I don't exactly know the logistics of how the church worked. I know they met in homes. But it also says in Acts 2, 2 that they met in the temple regularly. What we just learned last week is that the, the area of the temple called Solomon's Colonnade is, is the area that they would meet together for church on a daily basis is what it sounds like. And so what this is, the temple, we, we talked, talked on this last week. There's a temple right there. And then there's these different areas that different people were allowed to go into. There's the, the, the court of the men and women and the court of the Gentiles which is just a large area. So I don't know what you picture like the temple courtyard looking like, but you could fit like multiple football fields in this thing, right? We're talking bigger than Memorial Stadium. It's big, okay? And, and around the outside on a certain portion, there's this kind of covered porch area called Solomon's Colonnade. And the Gentiles and women, everybody could gather there. And so this is where they would have their church services, so to speak. They'd gather and they'd teach and do these kind of things. Well, this little group was growing. Now, nobody inside the temple courts, the rest of the place, they didn't want to come like be known as the ones that were getting sucked in. But day to day, house to house, people were like going like, there's something here because miracles were happening. Healings were happening. Supernatural things were breaking out. And, 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 and the message of Jesus kept going forward. So, the Jewish leaders are, are now threatened by this, and that's where we pick up in the story. Acts chapter 5, verse 17 says this, Then the high priest and all of his associates, so the high priest, the top guy, right, in the nation, the high priest and all of his associates who are members of the party of the Sadducees, a little uh, ruling Jew Jewish group, they were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles, right, so we're talking about the 12, and put them in public jail. Okay, so picture this. Uh, they're getting jealous. They're like, hey, let's go arrest all the leaders. Now, it didn't say which of the apostles, so we can assume that uh, most likely it was all of them. And if, if you were the, the, the bad guys here, okay, if, and you wanted to arrest all of them, most likely you'd probably show up at their gathering place. We don't know this exactly, but I, I'm picturing now the temple guard and the soldiers gathering and surrounding this Solomon's colonnade. They show up, they break in, they arrest the 12, they take them to jail. Could you imagine if that happened like today? Just doing our thing, not trying to even proselytize, right? Just kind of going to, could you imagine if somebody, the government broke in today and arrested myself and all of the like lead pastors of all the churches in Lincoln? That'd cause a little bit of an uproar, wouldn't it? 
Okay? And so, so they, they, they're all arrested. We don't hear what happens the rest of that day. People are probably like, what is going on? Okay, but this is what happened. Verse 19, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors and the jail of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. This is where we talked about last week, but two commands. Angel shows up, opens the prison doors. Now, I get it. We're reading the Bible. So we hear things like, an angel showed up and opened prison doors. I'm like, oh yeah, that, that, of course it does, because we're reading the Bible. That's what kind of happens. They'd never seen an angel before. This is weird. This is supernatural. This is nuts, right? And so they're just like doing their thing. And then all of a sudden an angel shows up and like, hey guys, this way. All right. And they walk right out. And I don't know what that was like. And the, the guards had no recollection of it. And like, they just walked right out. And then he gives them this message. Hey, I know, I know. Okay. I'm filling in gaps. Okay. I know you normally meet in Solomon's colonnade, right? You keep to yourself and you're not causing any disturbance and you just kind of do your thing with your followers and that's what you do. But I'm going to, I'm going to challenge you. Now I want you to go out into the temple courts. Okay. And I want you to go tell not just Jesus followers here. I want you to go tell the other people, you know, the people who are looking on going like, there's something different about these guys, but I don't know what. It's time to go tell them the what. It's time to go tell them about the life that you live, this Jesus life. It's time to get out from here and go into the temple courts and begin to share this message, okay? Now listen, listen, listen. In this scenario, I'm in jail. It's at night, me and the other pastors in Lincoln, and uh, an angel shows up. And I'm like, that's different. And he's like, hey, guys, come on. And so we all leave. And the angel's like, hey, I know you just got arrested for doing your church thing with your church people in your churches. But I think, I know you just got arrested, okay? But I think what you need to do right now, not I think, I'm telling you, I want you to actually now go explain the message of Jesus on, on the steps of the Capitol and, and uh, maybe the courthouse building. And you know what, while we're at it, there's a bunch of you, why don't you head to the rail yard too, just kind of like talk to people downtown. I wonder if some of them were like, uh, I think they're gonna arrest us again. <laughs> right? I, 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 I'm, I'm wondering if, 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 if those 12 guys, I, I'm guessing they probably had different ideas of what was going to happen to them. I bet there was some that are like, are you, wait, you're telling, we got arrested for this little thing and now you want us to go like up our game in their backyard? They're not going to like that. We're going to be back here so fast and I'm sure there's probably other ones that are like, no, man, there was an angel. If God told us to do this, there's no way. They're not going to touch us. We're just going to go, and there's nothing. There's, man, no weapon formed against us can prosper. Oh, that was, okay, that wasn't spoken yet. But, you know, you get the, you get the picture. They may have, I don't know, disagreed on what was going to happen to them, but they absolutely agreed on what they had to do next. They may not have been on the same page on what was going to happen, but they did not hesitate. Now imagine, okay, I'm back in the scenario. I come home and Beth's like, you're home. And I'm like, yeah, this angel appeared and told us to do this. And like, or yeah, this angel appeared, let us out. I'm like, cool. And then like, we're like, okay, let's go to bed now. And then I go over to my alarm clock and somehow, yeah, I'm old school. I still have an alarm clock, all right? So I go over to my alarm clock and somehow she's like, babe, you were just arrested and set free by an angel. I feel like that entitles you to like sleep in maybe tomorrow. And I'm like, no, actually, we already agreed that we're going to go back and we're going to go tell everybody else about this thing. Like first, as soon as the sun comes up and she's like, all right, well, good luck in prison tomorrow. You know, I mean, like this is, we read this story and we miss the fact that let me, let me give me one more context. Let's say you get arrested and taken to like county jail because, for disturbing the peace. I know that probably wouldn't be a jail time thing, but let's say it was. And somebody called you in and, and you got in trouble for disturbing the peace. Um, you know, maybe inciting a riot. Whatever, they were slapping these, these accusations on them. And you go to jail, okay? You're going to wake up in the morning and you're going to get slapped on the wrist and then you're going to get let go, right? Now, imagine you go to jail 
for disturbing the peace, and then you break out of jail. Do you think they're going to slap you on the wrist when they catch you again? This is what happened. All right? I want to make sure we're picturing this right. So this angel breaks him out, and it says this, at daybreak. I wonder if they're like, hey, the angel said go. Let's go. Yeah, let's do this. And they're like, wait, but like nobody's there. All right, get a couple hours of sleep. Let's come back. When the sun comes up, we're going to be the first ones there. And so they get there. And I wonder, you know how there's the early risers who are like always the first ones to wherever they go in the morning? You know, those types of people that just hate sleep and love getting up early, right? I imagine if the, that first guy that was always shows up at the temple early was there and you're like, why are all these dudes there? Like, hey, who's going to tell them? Okay, you go tell them. All right. Hey, we just want to talk to you about Jesus. Uh, okay. And then one by one, as people begin to come, and the crowds begin to come to the temple, they begin to go where the people were and be, begin to explain the way of Jesus. At daybreak, they enter the temple courts as they had been told and begin to teach the people. <laughs> Okay, now here's the thing. They arrested him. They put him in jail because the leaders had a plan. They were going to make him stand trial the next morning. They, they were going to bring all the religious who's who's because this was a big deal. There's 15,000 people telling them that they're murderers and that they killed the Messiah that they're all waiting for. It's kind of a big deal. And so they, they're like, we need to know what to do with this. So let's get the 12. We're going to arrest them and they're going to come stand trial and they'll give an account of what's going on. And we're going to threaten them and tell them to knock it off. Um, and so this is what happened. So they, they get, gathered together when the high priest and associates arrived. They called together Sanhedrin, which is the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and they sent to the jail for the apostles. All right, we're ready for you. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked with a guard standing at the door. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priest were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. What in the world is going on? How did they escape? Right? If, if, if you locked somebody up in jail and then they weren't there the next morning, you probably wouldn't assume that an angel let them out. Right? These guys just broke out of jail. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. That ticked them off. They're not just escaped. They escaped and they went back to do exponentially more than what we told them they should have stopped doing in the first place. The captain went with the officials and brought the apostles. Listen, they did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. I want you to hear what's in this statement here. This group, of, this group of people used to meet in Solomon's colonnade, this, this portion on the outside part of the temple. They'd come, and they'd keep to themselves, they'd do their teaching, they'd do their worship, they'd do their whatever they were doing. Broke them into small groups. I don't know how it worked, okay? And they got arrested for doing that. They come back, they spread out all, all over the place, they start telling people all about it. And they come back, and they thought, listen, the guards thought that the people were going to stone them. Why? Somehow, the people they were talking about Jesus to were on their side all of a sudden. You know, there, there's, a, there's a lot of people who do this evangelism thing. And it's like, and I understand, you, you, you have to realize that you are a sinner if you are going to seek salvation. Like, that's, just, that's a part of it. But you don't have to stand downtown and call anybody with a low-cut top a slut and say, you need to repent, right? Like, there's, when Jesus went to the sinners, they were all about him. And, and when the apostles went to those who didn't believe like them. Something about, I don't know if it was their message, I don't know if it was the way they conducted themselves, <laughs> but the crowd that was in the temple, apparently, and I'm, I'm going to assume they're not quite full-blown Jesus followers, or at the very least, they haven't figured the way of Christ out yet. <laughs> but some way or another, the crowd that was in the temple hearing about Jesus 
threatened the armed guards enough to think that they were going to get stoned to death. They won over the crowds in the amount of time that they were there. There's, there's something there. They didn't come in screaming. They just explained the way of Jesus that they'd already seen from an outside looking in. Friends, there are some people that you have in your life, I'm confident of it, who've seen the way that you live and they're like, there's something there that I can't put my finger on. And friends, you have been invited by God to just explain the life of Jesus to them. You can love them when you do that, you know? It's the most loving thing you can do. Anyway, there's just something there. Like these people who are hearing about these apostles came to their defense in such a way that the soldiers were afraid. Now here's the deal. So now you got 12 guys, champions, champions for the cause of Christ, doing what they're called to do. Like in the face of opposition, the angel said, go. And they're like, yeah, let's go. It doesn't matter what I'm going to face. Yeah, let's go. And all of a sudden the crowd comes around them and they're starting to get intimidating. And like the, and the, the guards are there going like, uh-oh, I don't know what we can do right now. These guys might just start stoning us. And, and, and what do the apostles do? Hey, no, no, listen, there was no need for the use of force and yet they still arrested them. The guards didn't run in, slam them to the ground, throw them in the back of the cop car and drive off. They came in and were like, uh, huh, well, hey, you guys, you're under arrest. I, I need to take you to the Sanhedrin now. And they're like, They didn't have to use force. Now listen, I know this, this does not sit well with some of us. You might look at the situation and be like, man, there's no fight in them. At the very least, run. Don't get arrested. Some, you might be looking at this and be like, you had the crowds. This was the tipping point. God told you to go there. You won the crowds over. They were ready to overthrow the former religious leaders. Let's go. What's going on? There's no fight. Can we go back to the default reaction to fear? Fight or flight? For some of us that maybe lean to the fight side might look at this situation and be like, why are you running away? Why are you rolling over? Well, God didn't call us to fight this battle. You see, there's a lot of people in the Christian world today. We gotta be so careful. Like, I'm not, I'm not throwing stones. I just want us to guard our own heart here. Like, there's a lot of people, and I understand how this happens. There's a lot of us that we wanna fight the spiritual battle, but we know we know the scripture. We know our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. And, and, and yet it seems it's like it's such a, a slippery, easy thing to fall into. Like I, there's so many Christians who set out to fight spiritual battles and end up fighting flesh and blood. God had sent the 12 on a spiritual battle and they knew the difference between the spiritual battle and the physical one. And I said, I'm not called to fight this physical battle. I'm called to fight the spiritual one. You want to arrest us? All right, which way do we go? And this is hard for some of us. But I guarantee you they were not ro rolling over. I guarantee you this was not a, a fear response to flight. Or the, the flight response to fear. Because look what happens next. Okay, So now they arrest them. They bring them in. They don't fight. They could have. They don't fight. It says the, the apostles are brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. And listen to what he says. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. He said, and you have filled Jerusalem with your teachings and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. You know what he's saying there, right? It's like we are looking forward to the Messiah. When you claim that he's the Messiah, you're claiming that we've killed the Messiah. But we're looking forward to the Messiah. You're making us guilty of that sin. You see what's happening? And that threatened them. 
Now, this is why I know this was not a fear response. This was not the flight mode kicking in when they were in the temple. Because fear doesn't respond like this. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. In other words, we must obey God rather than you. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on the cross. This is what he just said to shut up about. He's like, oh, you mean the fact that you executed Jesus by hanging him on the cross? You are guilty of that. God exalted him to the right hand. This would have been now declaring that this Jesus whom they killed was the Messiah, the right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgiveness and forgive their sins. Again, an attribute that only God could do. They knew what they were saying. And here's the powerful point. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. This is what's so interesting to me. We, we, you know, there, there's so much fear going on around us, and yet the, these apostles walked through something hard. And yet when they were called to go do something that they knew was going to have severe consequences, they didn't hesitate. When they were threatened, when they ran into opposition, fear didn't cause them to fight. When they're looking face to face with those who had the power to, to lock them up forever, to hunt down their families, to, to put a stop to this whole movement, they looked them in the face and said, I'm going to be obedient to God rather than you. Notice what they didn't do. They didn't fight physically or verbally. They didn't, they, they didn't accuse. They, didn't, they just said, this is the truth of, the, of God and this is what he's called us to speak. Because they knew their fight wasn't against flesh and blood. When they heard this, when those heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. And this, this wanted to put them to death. Let, let's, 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 let's put this in context, okay? Like this wasn't like, oh man, I want to kill you. Oh, I want to kill that guy. No, this is Remember Jesus and the crucifixion and the whole like back and forth that it went because they had to like, they wanted him to be killed, but they didn't have the authority to execute somebody. That's what this is. They would have been dead if they wouldn't have, if Rome hadn't been in charge because Rome was like, hey, Jews, you guys are the leaders. You're kind of doing just fine. As long as you keep the peace, like, no, you don't have the authority for capital punishment, but like you have the authority to manage your own affairs. So they knew, according to the Romans, they weren't allowed to just go killing people, especially 12 at once. That was the leaders of this little group. They knew that was going to backfire on them. But they had murderous intent. And these guys looked him in the face and said, Jesus is the way. So now this is another way that God works. This is really cool. One of the guys, I don't know if he was sympathetic to their cause. I don't know if this is just a wise older man who maybe he kind of was on the fence about this Jesus thing. Maybe he's just like, let's not make muddy the waters. I don't know what his intent was, but this, this man, Gamaliel, he stands up and he, he gives this argument and says, hey, listen, guys, 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 calm down, calm down, calm down. Listen, um, we've seen this happen before. Somebody rises up and gets a following, but we kill him or he gets killed and then his, his followers disperse. And then there was this other guy, he, he, you know, he rose up and you know, uh, he was killed and his followers dispersed. And listen, if this is of man, it's not going to, to succeed. But if it's of God, I don't know that I want to be on the side of fighting against it. And here's, here's their response. Again, they, these, the, they took the apostles out of the room. They're just talking amongst themselves. And it says this, his, sweet, his speech persuaded them. Yeah, he won them over, right? I can picture a dramatic court case and somebody gets up and he makes a case and like, yeah, not guilty, right? And so they bring the apostles in, back in. They're like, hey, we've come to a conclusion, not guilty. And that's where the, you know, the closing credits go and everybody celebrates and hey, you can go free. Well, it was a little different then. They're like, not guilty. We'll let you go. But what's what it says first? His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in, had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they let them go. 
flogged. That word there has, it could be a, a general term for just like beating. Good chance it's a little more specific term. You know, remember the whole cat of nine tails things that we remember about like the execution of Jesus? This is what happened. All right, we'll listen to you. We'll leave them alone. Bring them in here. Strip them naked. Tie their hands and feet together. Just beat them senseless for a little while till their backs and the back of their legs are, are welted and bleeding and filleted open, and then they can go. You know how many lawsuits there would be if that happened today? So up until this point in the story, there's three things that, that are missing from the story that just are, are hard to wrap your brain around. One, that when God commanded them to do something that was almost inevitably going to lead to their pain or heartache or setback or loss, they went without hesitating. There was no hesitation. The second thing that shocks me in this is that when, when, when it looked like they had all the numbers, when it looked like they were in position to really begin to get some ball rolling, there was no fight. And the third thing that, that's really missing from the story is that when they looked the leaders in the face, the ones who had the authority to make life miserable for them, there was no fleeing. They just stood in it. There was no hesitation. There was no fight. There was no fight. In other words, we could, we could say it this way. There was no fear in them at all. And so often we justify our fighting and we justify our fleeing. Could it be that God wants to teach us how to live this Christian life without fear? Some of us have lived with such a default baseline of fear that anytime somebody doesn't fight opposition, we think they're a coward. Or anytime we see somebody flee opposition, we think they're a coward. But listen, fight and flight are not part of the Christian life. But instead, this is what happens. This is what they did next. And this, okay, what's missing is mind-boggling. What, what's about to happen next, you, you won't believe. You're gonna, it's going to take you a week to process what happens next. They ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus after they got flogged, and they let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for his name. For most of us, there is not a place in our processor in order to take that in. That doesn't make any sense. How? Like, I, I get not holding a grudge. As hard as it is, maybe Jesus' words on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Maybe in my holiest moments, I could at least understand how one might be able to get there. But rejoicing? James, the brother of Jesus, he later writes, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. And we want, to, we want to use all of our theological hoops that we jump through to try to understand that. Here's what it means. It means like when you get beaten to a pulp and threatened to never talk about Jesus again, even though you just had a divine encounter that said, I want you to keep on talking about Jesus, that when you're done, I want you to rejoice. Now listen, I don't, I don't, I don't know what picture in your head you get when, when, when you hear the word rejoice. Like, I don't really think it's like, you know, like you've got a project at work and you work really hard on it. This is a 24 hour period. You're like, hey, we're going to bust this project out. We got to work late, but if we work hard, I think we can get it done. And you get it done. You're like, yeah, we got that project done. High five. Donuts in the break room tomorrow. We're rejoicing. Like, I don't think it was like that. See, I, I don't think this was like noisemakers and ice cream cakes, okay? I believe this was a deep, Solemn, holy rejoicing. I wonder if they had flashbacks to the garden when Jesus was arrested. I wonder if they remember the army that came to arrest this one man. 
Peter who pulls his sword. He's ready to die. He's ready to fight. And Jesus says, put your sword away. And Peter's like, I don't get it. As they walk away from the Sanhedrin, backs still bloody, quite possibly leaning on one another for strength to walk, You've been in a situation where you'd weathered hard things for a while, but incapable of processing the emotional toil that it took on you. And then in a moment, that's what I see. I don't know, but that's what I see. And something wells up inside of him. It's like, they look one another in the face. We did it. Just like he did it. We didn't run. I fell. We didn't fall. We didn't fight. Yeah. We are worthy to walk in his shoes. Part of the struggle that we have ever experiencing that moment is because of this internal expectation that our temporary physical comfort is the most significant thing about us. It's the reason we ask the question, why do, good things, why do bad things happen to good people? All right, that's a complex answer, I get it. We're not gonna undo all of that today, but that question is rooted in the, in the thought that what happens in this life is the most significant thing. Like for us to, guys, the, God made, they followed God. God's instruction led them to a greater punishment than they would have had 24 hours later when they were arrested the first time. What? God works together all things for the good of those who love him. How does that work? Could it be that good may not, you cannot just cut and paste comfortable for good. Listen to the last verse. Day after day, in the temple courts, and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. <laughs> they went back and did it again every day. Could you imagine the Jewish leaders at this point? Like, are you kidding me? What? What are we, what are we going to do with these people who literally don't care if we beat them? We can't kill them. Pfft, whatever. Now again, we said this last week, I'll say it again. God is always doing multiple things on more levels than we can comprehend. But they, they were doing their thing in their little space. And God's like, it's time. It's time for this thing to grow. But he didn't take away the opposition. He allowed him to face it. And he gave him courage to endure it. You know, you know how when you get, like, you get vaccinated, you take a little bit of something that makes you sick, and, you, and your body gets used to it so that when you get heavier doses of things, you can fight it off? I wonder if there's a little bit of what God was doing in this. He knew that those 12 men, that 11 of them would be tortured and executed for their faith. The other one was going to die in obscurity in 
as a prisoner. And he's like, all right, step one. Let's give you a little bit of taste of how to endure hardship. Why? Because the, gospel, the doors of the gospel were about to get blown wide open. And it came at the expense of the health, the comfort, and the lives of those men who led this movement from the beginning. This is not a fictional story. These are the leaders of the movement that we now belong to. Here's some, just, some takeaways, some observations, okay? This is hard. God sometimes leads me and calls me into places of pain. This is not an American, like, Christian message. <laughs> this does not follow the, 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 the traditional, if I, if I love Jesus well, then he's going to make everything. I, I don't know how to draw any other conclusions. God took him from a place where they would have gotten slapped on the hand and said, I want you to do something here for the next couple of hours that is going to make it way worse for you. God may lead you into a place of pain. Are you willing to go? That's hard. That's a big question. But here's what I believe was the critical deal. How do we follow Jesus without fear? When that's on the table, that level of obedience where God just might, it's not that he doesn't care about you. He loves you like a good father. He wants the best for you. But the best isn't always the most comfortable for you. Here's what I believe is the key verse, the key factor of all this. We talked about this as we kicked off Acts. It's this. Is when they said this, we were witnesses of this. We read in John chapter 9 this week in our Bible reading plan about this man who was born blind and Jesus opened his eyes. I love the story because the Jewish leaders come in, these same guys come in and they start questioning him. Like, well, how did this happen to you? And like, Jesus opened my eyes. Like, no, he didn't. Jesus, God, this guy's a sinner and, and, and God doesn't listen to a sinner. He's like, I don't know if he's a sinner or not, but this one thing I do, I was blind and now I see. And they're like, no, 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 no. We're going to do this again. Okay, how did your eyes get open? And, like, and he, he, he gets sarcastic with them. There's zero fear. He knows who he's talking about, who, who he's talking to. There's zero fear. You're like, what? I've told you already. Why are you asking again? Do you want to be his disciples too? Why was that guy so unafraid? Because he witnessed the real life power of God in his life. Right, we, it says that the apostle said, we are witnesses of these things. And I know that the word witness gets so mixed up in church today because we hear witness and we instantly think evangelist. We hear witness and we think missionary. We hear witness and we think preachers. And I, I, I think we need to, every time in Acts, we, we hear that word witness. It didn't have this like overly churchy definition yet. I think every time we hear the word witness, we should, we should, we should I think this would be acceptable because I think it's what it's all about. We were first-hand eyewitnesses. Jesus, I mean, God isn't calling you as an individual. God is not calling you necessarily, maybe he is, to go get a Bible degree and to, to learn Greek and Hebrew and, and study the scriptures so that you can put together the best, most polished sermons on, on earth. He's calling you to be a first-hand eyewitness of the power and the act of God in your life. Guys, that's a freeing, powerful command. Like this man in, in, in John 9, he's like, I don't know anything about Jesus. I don't know if he's a sinner or if he's not a sinner. To me, that's not, that's not my story. My story is the story of the life that was absolutely changed because of his presence in my life. And so when the angel shows up in the, in the, in the prison, he's like, guys, this is, what, this is the message. 
It's not more doctrine, though they, pro- they, they did a lot of doctrine. It's not more Bible, though they used the scripture. I want you to teach about the life. I believe one reason, I believe one reason that we as, as Christians today, as, a, as, a, as, a, as an American church today, while we struggle to be a, a, a witness, to share our faith, to go where it might cost us is because we're not all that convinced of the power of God in our life. That I got saved on doctrine, not on life change. Doctrine will save people. But listen, the apostles followed for like three and a half years before they got it. If you're still like, I'm struggling. I'm still on the fence. Can I tell you something? Something that that Jesus taught to the disciples while he was with them? Hold on. Because he wants to do something in you that you will not be able to deny the power of God. Peter didn't just talk about the death and the resurrection of Jesus. He talked about a new life that God had given him. Thomas didn't just talk about the death and resurrection of Jesus. He talked about doubts turning to faith. See, these men had a story of the way God impacted and changed their life. And it changed everything. Friends, some of us just need to remind ourselves, what is it that God has done for you? Let me ask you this. Do you think that God, what he's done for you, can do for somebody else? Is he the same God? The addiction that he freed you from, do you think he's still powerful to do that in somebody else? The bitterness and unforgiveness and rage in your heart that God supernaturally walked you through the process or maybe some just momentarily lifted off of you and you experienced freedom? Listen, if you haven't, God, that's available for you. But if you have, do you not think he can do it in somebody else? God wants to teach us to live fearlessly. And it doesn't happen by gritting our teeth and forcing our way through it. It happens when we're convinced that Jesus is who he says he is and he has the power to do what he says he's going to do. Are we convinced? Some of us, and here's part of the convincing, some of us, We've never really walked through trials and held on. We've been through trials and we come back. But one of the the things that the disciples had with Jesus was this, that Jesus like walked them through storms. Jesus could have prevented storms from rising up in the sea, but he, he allowed his disciples to endure storms so he could teach them how to not fear. God might be leading you into some things, or maybe you're just right in the middle of it right now. Can I tell you, friend, hold on. For some of us, it's just just that, that deliberate choice. I am not going to fight. I'm gonna let go of my stones. I'm not gonna run away. I'm gonna stand in the face of it. And in confidence in my God that he has me where I am, I'm going to take whatever happens, but I'm not going to waver from the path that God has pointed me on. Faith. We don't go fight, 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 fight. Friends, we'll never develop a fearless life until we say, God, I'm going I'm to choose to trust you. I'm going to choose right now. Everything in me is telling me to fight. Everything in me is telling me to run away. But God, I will stand unmoved. I will be here where you've called me. Because I'm convinced. I'm convinced in the power of God in this situation right here and now. Father God, I, I just thank you for Honestly, these 12 men who led the way, man, through the Gospels, God, you let us see. They blew it over and over. They fought and they fled 
over and over and over again. But to hold on. God, teach us to hold on. Teach us to look for the promise. Teach us to trust in you. And it may happen in a moment or it may happen in another three and a half years. But God, I want to be the type of person, Father, we, we want to be the type of people who do not run, who do not fight, who stand firmly where you've planted us, walk boldly where you've placed us, declare with clarity the life in Jesus we live. God, you are the only way. So Father, help us as we navigate the opposition that comes our way. Help us to follow you through the, the hard things that you lead us through. Teach us to not see pain and loss and setback as, as an attack, but just part of the life. Because what happens to us is not nearly as significant of what you're doing in us. Teach us to consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds because we know that the testing of our faith develops perseverance. And perseverance, when it becomes full and complete, leads to maturity. Father, we trust your path. Make us bold. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to this audio from Crossroads Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Crossroads, please visit lincolncrossroads.com.